This is Conversations on Healthcare. I'm Mark Maselli. And I'm Margaret Flinton. Well, Margaret, the political wrangling over the health care law continues to play out in Congress. The government shutdown over the Affordable Care Act has raised the ire of the American electorate. But in spite of those challenges and the quagmire in Washington, millions of Americans have begun shopping online for affordable health insurance since the opening of the insurance exchanges. Well, Mark, I guess political shenanigans are to be expected with such a divided Congress, but... As we know, the real work surrounding the Affordable Care Act is being carried out all around the country in clinics and state health offices and call centers where people are finding help from uh, lots of trained people, assisters, navigators, outreach and enrollment specialists, and even uh, traditional insurance brokers are helping out. Well, we did get off to a rocky start, but we were warned there would be technical glitches to work out once all the various systems were up and running. It turns out the system wasn't quite equipped to handle the large volume of calls that came into the healthcare.gov website for the federal exchange being relied upon in 36 states across the country. And each state-based exchange had its own systems idiosyncrasies to sort out as well, Mark. But this is one time when I'm really glad there's a lot of lead time. You know, there's a full three months, almost a full three months before uh, coverage goes into place. I think people have until December 15th to get enrolled. And based on our experience in Connecticut and judging from some reports around the country, there were glitches, but they're getting to the root of them pretty quickly. And most of them should be ironed out, I think, within a few weeks. Well, uh, Mark Levitt, who was President Bush's top health official when Medicare Part D rolled out in 2006. He noted there were quite a few technical glitches during the launch of that program as well. In case of the online insurance marketplaces, the dress rehearsal became opening night. (laughs) That's a good way to look at it. Uh, And I have noted, Mark, that there's been very little criticism from the insurance industry They are cautioning folks to be patient, perhaps give the system a few more weeks before attempting to go through the process. Of course, they stand to gain quite a bit of new business with these millions of newly insured Americans. But I think their advice is sound and provides people a little more time to learn more about the plans before they actually sign up. And I might highlight a silver lining in all of this. The millions of Americans trying to log on to the system reveals a larger truth that many in this country are very eager for the affordable health coverage Uh, The numbers speak for themselves. And our guest today is certainly keeping a very close eye on how the uninsured are being assisted in every state in the nation. Jennifer Tolber is the Director of State Health Reform at the Kaiser Family Foundation. She has a very in-depth understanding of the national picture and how the health care law is literally coming to life in every state. Lori Robertson checks in from factcheck.org. She's drilling into some of the false claims about the health care law. And no matter what the topic, you can hear all of our shows by going to CHC Radio. And as always, if you have comments, please email us at chcradio.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love hearing from you. We'll get to our interview with Jennifer Tolbert in just a moment. But first, here's our producer, Marianne O'Hare, with this week's headline news. I'm Marianne O'Hare with these healthcare headlines. Proverbial technical glitches seems the software and even some of the hardware attached to the online insurance exchanges wasn't quite ready for prime time, according to analysis from inside the White House. Todd Park, the administration's chief technology officer, pointed to some weaknesses in the software system supporting healthcare.gov, the online federal insurance exchange. Those problems highlighted when the first wave of millions of potential customers attempted to log on to the system. 
There are teams of technical troubleshooters working round the clock to get the systems functioning properly. And there were problems on the state-based exchanges as well. Maryland, the District of Columbia, Connecticut, just some of the states that ran into snags in the first few days of business for the state-based exchanges. Covered California officials fixed a glitch in that state's online insurance marketplace that was blocking folks from searching for their primary care providers and other physicians before signing up for a plan. Todd Park says these are actually textbook occurrences anytime there's a large rollout of an IT system. In the meantime, additional counselors have been put on staff at healthcare.gov to take phone calls from folks having trouble with the online exchanges. That toll-free number is 800-314-2596. The good news, according to the White House, wait times have been cut in half and more people are actually logging on across the country successfully. Analysts do suggest folks might want to wait a few more weeks before logging into the system. Actual coverage doesn't begin until January 1st, and there's a December 15th deadline to sign up in time to begin coverage at the first of the year. Meanwhile, price transparency is going to become a more common occurrence when it comes to selecting medical procedures. The health care law is going to encourage price tags on procedures ahead of time, like MRIs or CAT scans, so health care customers will begin to shop and compare and be aware of their health care spending habits before they take action. And one of those habits, a recent study out showed 1% of the patient population accounts for 21% of the overall health care spending in this country. The report found often it was social determinants, lack of adequate housing, resources, food, etc., that led to high-use care and more costly care at that. Two Americans and a German have shared the Nobel Prize in Physiology for Medicine this year. Americans James Rothman, a professor at Yale, and Randy Schechtman, a professor at UCAL Berkeley, and German Thomas Sudoff were awarded the prize for discoveries on how the body's cells decide when and where to deliver molecules they produce. The Nobel Assembly said the three have solved the mystery of how the cell organizes its transport system. Their work focuses on tiny bubbles inside cells called vesicles, which move hormones in other molecules within cells and sometimes outside them, such as when insulin is released into the bloodstream. Disruptions of this delivery system contribute to diabetes, neurological disorders, and immunological disorders as well. I'm Mariano O'Hare with these healthcare headlines. We're speaking today with Jennifer Tolbert, Director of the State Health Reform at the Kaiser Family Foundation and Associate Director of the Foundation's Commission on Medicaid and the Uninsured, which is leading efforts to monitor implementation of the Affordable Care Act. She also manages Kaiser's State Health Facts, a source of state-level data covering 600 health topics. Prior to joining the foundation, Ms. Tolbert served as the Assistant Vice President for Policy at the National Association of Public Hospitals and Health Systems, as well as in the Office of the Assistant Secretary at the Department of Health and Human Services. Jennifer, welcome to Conversations on Healthcare. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. As you well know, we're in that early phase of expanding health coverage to uh, millions of Americans, and uh, but there are, as expected, growing pains attached to this phase of the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, uh, the launching of the online insurance exchanges, to name one. And your focus at the Kaiser Family Foundation is on monitoring the status of the intersection between each state's vulnerable populations and their access to health coverage, either through insurance or the safety net programs like Medicaid. 
But central to improving access to health coverage are these new health insurance exchanges, which were supposed to be simple and easy to use, and yet there have been numerous uh, reports of problems across the country. So what is it that makes these exchanges so complicated to navigate, and what ideas do you have to making the system more user-friendly? Yes, well, these systems are quite complex, and they are, have to house a great deal of data on the individuals that are applying for coverage, as well as on the all of the plans uh, that are available through the marketplaces. So these are very complex systems, and we really are breaking new ground um, in terms of how people will apply for coverage. And so it's not surprising that there are and have been some glitches. Um, And I think what's going to be imperative is as we move forward, whether these glitches can be fixed in time for people to enroll in coverage. Now, thankfully, we've got a six-month open enrollment period, which lasts from October 1st until March 31st of next year. So there is time uh, to get these systems fixed. And hopefully they will be. And we have seen, um, certainly at the state level, there have been some problems not not just with the healthcare.gov website, but also with some uh, uh, state websites, particularly in Maryland and in Washington state. Those websites seem to be uh, running much more smoothly now. So uh, I think, you know, they, they, this is going to improve over time and should continue to enable people to enroll in coverage before coverage begins on January 1st. So, Jennifer, you oversee the Kaiser Family Foundation analysis of health coverage, and as part of that, I think you have an incredible view of the differences from state to state. I have an image, if you were looking down from an aerial perspective on the landscape of the country, it'd be quite a mosaic at this point with uh, states that have chosen to rely on the federal exchange and those that are doing it themselves. Uh, roughly half the states expanding Medicaid to include more residents who live close to the poverty line. We've seen the shutdown of the federal government because of uh, opposition to the health care law and some state governments actively campaigning against the law. So a lot of different activity going on. It's still early in the process, but from your perspective, uh, when you look at how differently the uh, Affordable Care Act implementation is playing out state by state, can you highlight some of those differences for our listeners and maybe share your perspective on how do you expect it to actually impact population health across the country? So one of the interesting aspects of the Affordable Care Act is it uh, delegated implementation of the coverage provisions of the law to the states. So states were given the option to run their own marketplace, which is one of the uh, main vehicles through which people who are currently uninsured today will gain coverage. And then also states have responsibility for implementing, or in some cases not, the expansion of the Medicaid program, which is another very important coverage component included in the Affordable Care Act. And so what we're seeing, not surprisingly, is that the implementation is playing out differently across the states. And so what we've seen is 16 states plus the District of Columbia opted to run their own marketplaces. Another seven states are actually partnering with the federal government on running the marketplace. And then that meant that in 27 states, the federal government is operating the marketplace. Now, you know, when it comes to 
sort of the consumer experience, I'm not sure that it matters a great deal whether the state or the federal government runs the marketplace because consumers will have a similar ability to go to the website, to apply for coverage online, to search for, shop for uh, qualified health plans that meet their needs and ultimately enroll in coverage. Um, we're obviously seeing slightly more problems with the healthcare.gov website that may hinder at least over the short term uh, people's ability to you know, shop for and enroll in coverage in the states where there's a federal marketplace. But I think those problems will be ironed out over time. But I think where we're seeing the biggest difference is over uh, state decisions around expanding the Medicaid program. And here the law envisioned that all states would expand their Medicaid programs to cover low-income adults with incomes up to 138% of the federal poverty level, or about uh, $15,000. But the Supreme Court decision on the law that upheld the constitutionality of the law, um, but did limit the ability of HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, to enforce the Medicaid expansion, essentially that left the decision up to the states. Right now, we have about half the states, 26 states that are moving forward with the Medicaid expansion, um, but that leaves a, just less than half of states that are not currently moving forward. And unfortunately, in those states, there will likely be a coverage gap uh, beginning on January 1st because uh, low-income individuals in those states won't be eligible for coverage and you know, will likely remain uninsured. Uh, certainly, as we entered, as people were considering the option uh, of taking on Medicaid in the states, there were worries about budget constraints. Clearly, for many of the big states like Texas and Florida, this has an enormous impact. <clears throat> First of all, there are millions and millions of eligible Medicaid recipients who will go without, but also it's an enormous loss of financing to the health care system within those states. So what are you hearing out there? Do you see any uh, light at the end of the tunnel uh, for some of these states? It's We are seeing some movement uh, among a handful of states, particularly in the Midwest, where there was initial opposition to the Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. So Michigan is now moving forward. Pennsylvania, the governor, came out and said that he is supportive mm -hmm. of a Pennsylvania approach to expanding the program. And similarly in Ohio, uh, it looks like there may be some movement uh, toward a decision to expand. Unfortunately, you know, there are a, still a number of states that are not likely going to be moving forward with the Medicaid expansion prior to January 1st, which means that there are going to be lots of people uh, without a coverage option. Um, now, we've estimated that in the states that are not moving forward, there are about 6 million people who would have otherwise qualified for Medicaid who will likely remain uninsured. And importantly, as you mentioned, states that don't expand Medicaid are giving up a lot of federal funding. Um, as you said, the federal government is picking up 100% of the cost of those who are newly eligible for the expansion for the first three years and then phasing down to 90% by 2020. But that still translates to about $40 billion across the states um, that are not currently moving mm -hmm. forward with the expansion in, you know, foregone 
on federal revenues that they would have otherwise received. So this is an important issue and an important decision that stakes are making that is going to have both financial implications as well as um, significant uh, implications for uninsured residents in those states. You know, this is a uh, piece of legislation where it impacts the country, the states, but individuals in their pocketbook. And we have been referring folks for a while now to the Health Insurance Subsidy Calculator, a really terrific tool that's offered on your site. Uh, that site is kff.org. And I'm just going to repeat it again. It's the Health Insurance Subsidy Calculator because it allows people to really take a look and see how does this work for them in terms of might they qualify for Medicaid or what kind of subsidy would they qualify for. But there's also a tremendous amount of health information available on that Kaiser website. And you're in charge of the state health facts page that tracks over 600 indicators in each state that have an impact on health. I wonder if you could highlight some of what you see as the most significant health indicators and maybe those that are most sensitive or most likely to be impacted by a major shift in coverage across the United States. Well, Margaret, as far as our state health facts page, this is something I'm very proud of. Um, And we have been for uh, many years now collecting uh, data, uh, state-level data on a number of uh, health indicators across a broad set of categories. And and I will say, you know, as we've been engaged in, in this debate over health reform and then implementation of the Affordable Care Act, a, a lot of the data that we have on this site has been uh, very valuable. And I'll point to our data on health insurance coverage. We have uh, 80 indicators that break out health insurance coverage by family status, by age, by income, by a whole number of factors. And I think it's very, very informative and uh, particularly for understanding kind of who the uninsured are um, and, you know, kind of what they're, what issues that they are facing when it comes to uh, getting health insurance coverage. And I will say the Census Bureau released updated data a couple weeks ago, and we are in the process of, of updating our data and hope to produce and release those uh, updated data very soon. Um, But in addition, we have a category, a health reform category, where we are, have been and will continue to capture information and data on the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. So right now, we have information on things like state decisions around uh, establishing their marketplaces, as well as the the Medicaid expansion decisions. But moving forward, we hope to be able to provide a lot more data on participating plans in the marketplaces, premiums, as well as enrollment numbers when they become available, so that consumers can go to just, and policymakers can go to one site to get a lot of this information. It's obviously available online, but you would have to access all 50 50 state websites. Um, So we're hoping to capture that and and really turn it into uh, an incredible resource for policymakers as well as the public. We're speaking today with Jennifer Tolbert, uh, Director of the State Health Reform at the Kaiser Family Foundation. 
and the Associate Director of the Foundation's Commission on Medicaid and Uninsured, which is leading the efforts to monitor implementation of the Affordable Care Act in states across the nation. She also manages Kaiser State Health Facts, which analyzes health data on a state-by-state basis. Um, And Jennifer, while the technical glitches are being worked out, and I'm sure our good friend Todd Park, who's the Chief Technology Officer, is not getting much sleep, but uh, he will get these things resolved uh, at the federal level. And certainly, as you've mentioned, some of the state-based exchanges are doing well if you uh, need some fine-tuning. Consumers, though, are still navigating new territory. And in a recent article posted, uh, it warned of five uh, things folks should look out for when utilizing the online insurance marketplace. What should consumers be looking out for and be wary of when navigating these exchanges? Well, you referenced an article from Kaiser Health News, and I will say we are independent from Kaiser Health News, although, you know, they are a, a part of the organization. But what I can say from, from my own perspective, um, I, I think when, when consumers access these websites and, and shop for coverage, I think there are a number of things that, that people should keep in mind. Um, you know, as they look at their health care and health coverage options. Um, and importantly, I think most people are, are very much focused on the premiums and so what they will pay m- on a monthly basis for the coverage. And granted, that is a very important um, uh, thing to keep in mind. Obviously, that affects uh, consumers' pocketbooks and, you know, their their budgets. But it's also important to look at other uh, components of the health insurance coverage, things like what are the out-of-pocket costs? So how, how much are those deductibles? How much will people have to pay out-of-pocket before the health insurance coverage kicks in? Um, who are, what providers participate in the plan's network? Um, and this is particularly important for people who have existing relationships with providers. Um, maybe they're getting care for a chronic condition or ongoing treatment for a major health condition. Um, consumers will want to look to the extent that they can um, at those provider networks and make sure that their providers are are participating um, in in that plan. So there are a lot of factors that I think consumers will want to keep in mind as they shop for coverage on these new marketplaces. Well, Jennifer, I uh, think that is great advice for consumers. And am I correct in understanding that there's also some longitudinal studies that are planned um, and that perhaps Kaiser is leading where you're going to um, survey a set of subjects over uh, six-month intervals into the future to see what their experience actually is? Could you share a little bit about that with us? Absolutely. Um, yes, we are uh, have a number of surveys underway to kind of assess the impact on people of the changes that are uh, being implemented through the Affordable Care Act. Um, and so, one survey is a is based in California, and it's a panel survey of 2,000 uninsured adults, which means we are going to be tracking these people over time, and we'll be surveying them at four four points in time. So we just released the findings from the the baseline survey um, just um, 
week ago, um, and we will be out in the field again uh, talking to these people in April, where we will focus on kind of enrollment, the enrollment process, and and the experience of of people as they applied for coverage. And then in addition to this California survey, we are also doing a national survey of low-income adults um, that will also be targeted in three states. So we'll have samples from three states in addition to a national sample. Now, this won't be a panel survey, so we're not asking the um, same people or following the same people over time, but we are conducting two waves, basically a baseline and then a a follow-up in a year to gauge what uh, the effect or impact of the Affordable Care Act has been on people. And then I will just add that in addition to these larger surveys, we also are conducting our monthly tracking poll, which is designed to really gauge more attitudes about the law um, and will be, I think, important uh, as implementation proceeds to kind of see if if there is any change in in how people perceive the law. and and so I think all of these uh, surveys together will help us better understand how this law will is affecting people over time. We've been speaking today with Jennifer Tolbert, Director of the State Health Reform at the Kaiser Family Foundation and the Associate Director of the Foundation's Commission on Medicaid and Uninsured, which is leading the efforts to monitor implementation of the Affordable Care Act in states across the nation. You can learn more about their work by going to kff.org. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us on Conversations on Healthcare today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Conversations on Healthcare, we want our audience to be truly in the know when it comes to the facts about healthcare reform and policy. Lori Robertson is an award-winning journalist and managing editor of FactCheck.org, a nonpartisan, nonprofit consumer advocate for voters that aim to reduce the level of deception in U.S. politics. Lori, what have you got for us this week? We've seen true and false claims about the healthcare navigators. These are the federal workers funded by the Affordable Care Act that educate the uninsured about their options on the exchanges and help them enroll for coverage. Let's start with the false. House Republicans claimed on the Energy and Commerce Committee's website that a Fox News report makes clear that navigators were going door-to-door to enroll Americans after the Obama administration said that they would not be going door-to-door. But the Fox News report was mistaken. The workers it showed weren't navigators. They were representatives of the United Way of Florida and a group called Enroll America. Neither group received federal funding under the Navigator program. We spoke with both groups and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to confirm that. Now for the true. Senator John Barrasso claimed that navigators don't have to go through criminal background checks. That's right. There's nothing in federal statutes that requires such checks. A handful of states, five of them to be exact, have added that requirement. And there are other safeguards aimed at protecting against identity theft, which was Barrasso's concern. And that's my fact check for this week. I'm Lori Robertson, managing editor of factcheck.org. Factcheck.org is committed to factual accuracy from the country's major political players and is a project of the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania. If you have a fact that you'd like checked, email us at chcradio.com 
We'll have factcheck.org's Lori Robertson check it out for you here on Conversations on Healthcare. Each week, Conversations highlights a bright idea about how to make wellness a part of our communities and everyday lives. Of the roughly 2.3 million American soldiers who've returned from multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, as many as 20% have returned with so-called invisible wounds, post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury, anxiety, depression, and stress. While the federal government has been shining a spotlight on the problem, there simply aren't enough soldiers getting the treatment they need, and their families and loved ones suffer alongside them. Dr. Barbara Van Dahlen is a licensed clinical psychologist who saw the need growing and decided to do something about it. In 2005, she and a handful of colleagues launched an organization dedicated to creating a network of volunteer counselors and therapists who would devote their time to treating soldiers and their family members. It's called Give an Hour. Uh, We are a national network of mental health professionals who provide free mental health services to our returning troops their families, and their communities. And her organization has grown. She has created a network of 6,500 licensed therapists in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and Guam, and they have provided thousands of hours of free therapy to all veterans who reach out to them. And they're also working with the federal government's initiative to train the next generation of doctors and mental health professionals to recognize the unique characteristics of PTSD and related conditions. We will work with our mental health association partners, our nonprofit partners, our veteran service organization partners, and the White House's Joining Forces Initiative to ensure that the next generation of mental health professionals are properly prepared to support those who serve in their families. Dr. Van Dalen is planning to expand her services to families who suffered the long-term effects from the recent storms that have impacted the Northeast. Her work landed her on Time Magazine's 2012 list of the 100 most influential people in the world. Give an Hour, creating a network of volunteer therapists who are helping soldiers and their families who suffer from the impact of their service, using that network to better train future clinicians to treat these disorders. Now that's a bright idea. This is Conversations on Healthcare. I'm Margaret Flinter. And I'm Mark Maselli. Peace and health. Conversations on Healthcare broadcast from the campus of WESU at Wesleyan University, streaming live at WESUFM.org, and brought to you by the Community Health Center.